is um, the superior high priest um, as part of a superior and better covenant. Um, And so he's going to reinforce uh, several themes that we have heard before. We want to work in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice because this is where all of the Old Testament was uh, headed. And that's important for this original audience. It has implications for them because they are being tempted as we are being tempted day in and day out by the world, the flesh, and the devil to maybe reconsider, maybe turn back to what is more comfortable or more acceptable to those around us. Because following Jesus was costly for them. Following Jesus is costly. It may cost you your your reputation. It may cost you your life. Jesus says as much. It's certainly going to cost you a life of of obedience and worship uh, as followers of the Lord Jesus are privileged uh, to do. But is it worth it? How are they going to endure? How will we endure uh, when the stakes are high? Uh, So we look to Christ uh, whose sacrifice restores us to God and perfects us in His presence. So we're going to read through verse 18 of chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, Above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet." For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these There is no longer any offering for sin. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are in awe that you would make yourself known to us through this word. 
Lord, you have transcribed your heart and desire for us. You have transcribed what it is you have done and continue to do through your Son in this Word. And so, Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you and need you in this moment as we seek to understand and apply this word. Illumine our hearts and our minds. That your word would be faithfully proclaimed and we would willingly submit to this word that we need today. Help us, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen. You know, sometimes I wonder if we would prefer the shadow over the real thing. If we prefer what's temporary and provisional over the true form of things. Um, With the technology that we have, most of us in our pockets right now, in just a few seconds you could all be on your screen and you could be typing a message or, or making a call or maybe even seeing someone else through the screen and having a conversation. But that's you know, very different than actually being here in the same room or having a conversation uh, with another. That's very different than a real flesh and blood uh, relationship. Now we acknowledge that this technology can be very helpful. The last couple of years have shown us this. Um, we've been uh, more isolated. Um, we've been able to have conversations and see our loved ones and, and have those, those meetings. Um, But what would you rather have? A relationship over FaceTime or Zoom or Skype or the real thing? Now before we, we would instantly want to answer, right? Well, of course we want the real relationship. We want to have that, you know, that that personal interaction. That's best. But how many of us really desire that? We really prefer the FaceTime, Zoom contact. Um, Because real relationship is risky, and it's messy. And what if they see what really happens on the other side of that screen throughout the rest of the day? Um, Is that what we really desire? Uh, And you have some control, right? Through the screen, you have some control on what is they see and hear. It's manageable. And so I think, you know, we resist leaning into reality. Because look at all the the alternatives that are out there. Facebook is no longer Facebook because it wants another great alternative to reality. So technology, whether we like it or not, has helped us get used to the shadow over the substance. So I think it'd be hard for us, by conditioning in a way, to grasp a passage like this and apply it faithfully because there's no more outline, no more... No more shadow. This is the real thing. This is the true form. Under under the old covenant, which is most of the Bible that you have sitting on your laps, all of its characters and its sacrifices and the the blessings and the curses is all looking forward, kind of looking through the screen, as it were, until the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The pictures, the signs, the... Provisions given by God under the old covenant gives way to the always intended reality of Jesus. So we grow comfortable 
And we, we defer to the safe shadows instead of the risky reality. I think that's on point with the original audience. We can forget the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus and what that means for us. We forget its power shaping our lives than the real relationship that we've been made for uh, between our God and with each other. Uh, if there's no longer any offering for sin, well, then we offer our lives uh, in obedience to the Lord. That, that's the whole concern of this section. It's on the effect of Christ's sacrifice for us, for us as, as worshipers of God. Um, So the author is wrapping up his comparison between the old way and the new, between the many and the one, beginning with sacrifices. The many sacrifices compared to the one. Then he moves on to priests, the posture of many priests compared to uh, the one priest. And he ends with this witness of the Spirit um, to the, the new covenant compared to the old. So sacrifices, priests, and covenants is what we're going to look at Uh, briefly this morning. And the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system, if if it really worked, if it really cleansed the worshiper from sin, then why did the priests keep offering sacrifices? Every time that I I look at my right ankle or I bump my right ankle, I am reminded of uh, a softball accident almost 24 years ago now. And the doctors decided to repair this with a, a plate and a bunch of screws. So if you think I have some screws loose, you're probably more accurate than you know. Um, and I'm thankful for that repair, um, but it was, it was a life-changing event. And that, that's something I always have with me. And so the sacrifices of the Old Covenant were a constant reminder to the people of their sin and their need for forgiveness. Their need of holiness was always with them. So that begs a very logical question. If these sacrifices were really an atonement for sin, then why did they keep doing it? And what we find in this provisional arrangement is that the repetition and the reminder is actually the point. The blood of bulls and goats and that, that's an indication that the, the author still has the Day of Atonement in view here. It's powerless. Powerless to please God and restore right relationship with Him. It was powerless to satisfy the be holy as I am holy covenant obligation. And so with every sacrifice, every purification law, I mean, you've tried it in your Bible reading programs to get through Leviticus. Every one of those. A reminder of what the people could not do for themselves. That's the point. Reminding them of their sin, their their weakness, and at the same time, God's holiness, God's strength. What they can't do for themselves, only God can do. Appreciate a, a word I read this last week. Said that the, the collective cry of the Old Testament was how long, O oh Lord? How long? Now that's a cry we still make today. How long, O oh Lord, till the return of our King and He restores all things. But through most of redemptive history, how long, O oh Lord, until there is sufficient atonement for sin? Because we're sacrificing again and again and again. 
How long until you do something, Lord, that we cannot do for ourselves? So to see our weakness, to see our need, the grace of God in making atonement, that, that's an important message. Uh, let's not think for a moment as we consider all that's happened under the old covenant that that was unnecessary or that maybe that it was a waste of time. Um, these, these were, you know, this was given by God to His people to make these sacrifices. It was a gracious provision that allowed them to worship. But they weren't given to the people so that they could somehow purify themselves or save themselves. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, to cleanse from within. In Luke chapter 18, the disciples are beside themselves. They've just heard that they can... They can keep the letter of the law. And they can have wealth and, and status. They can have all these things and completely miss their eternal inheritance. So they throw their hands in the air and say, well, who can be saved if that's the case? And Jesus says to them, what is impossible with men is what? Possible with God. God must save God must provide the sufficient sacrifice of atonement. So in the first four verses, that's the bad news of the passage, verses 1 through 4. And then we get the consequently of verse 5 and move into the good news. God has provided the one sacrifice, the one offering that cleanses the worshiper and satisfies, be holy as I am holy. In verses 5 through 10, He's making reference here to Psalm 40 and then comments on it to help the audience understand its true meaning. Helps us understand uh, its true meaning. Uh, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. The language in Psalm 40 is an ear you have dug for me. So that's a little weird. It's a little more archaic. Um, The author gives some clarity. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. Before we unpack this, just a nugget of application here that we can, can hold on to. The New Testament helps us read and understand the Old Testament. In the canon of Scripture, provided by God, preserved by God, we need both testaments or wills or covenants. We're not going to understand the new rightly if we don't have the information from the old. And we're not going to understand the shadows and types and pictures of the old without reading through the lens of the New Testament. So now we read the Old Testament through eyes of faith in Christ and we see things there that we didn't see before. It's probably true if you've watched a movie and you get to the end and you go, whoa, I did not. See, I'm trying to think of a movie where that's happened to me. Um, you, I didn't see that coming. And then you go back and you watch that film again. You're like, of course, there it is. Oh, there it is. Why didn't I see that? This is true of, of Psalm 40. A Psalm of David that we learn from this passage comes from the mouth of the true and better David. This is the inspired word of God. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus before they were the words of David. Let that sink in for a second. So we learn a lot about Jesus and the heart of God from these verses in Psalm 40. We learn that God takes no pleasure in outward sacrifices. 
He gave those sacrifices, but they're just a shadow of the real, what He always intended to do through the obedience of His Son. The greater the need, the greater the gift. So at the appointed time, God sends His Son, born of woman, born under the law. In Psalm 40, which is verse, verse 5 in our context, it highlights the incarnation of Jesus and the physical body that, that Jesus took on that was necessary to be a physical sacrifice. So we need the actual body and blood of Jesus if there's going to be an atonement, if there's going to be any salvation. The eternal Son of God takes on flesh willingly and offers Himself. How many of those animals willingly offered themselves? Said, you know what, I'm going to die today for this person's sin. How many of them knew consciously? Well, not a one. Not one of those animals did that. Jesus has done what no animal sacrifice could do. This is what He came to do. This was an expression of His obedience to the Father's will. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work, Jesus says. In the garden, just before His death, He says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus makes the will of God the Father His own. Prophet Micah gives us some more language. Will the Lord be pleased with a with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is what Jesus has done. He has satisfied the law's demands. All the covenant obligations through His obedience and His sacrifice. We need the obedience of Jesus to do the will of God from His incarnation to His ascension to the Father's right hand. He's done this for us. that, That doesn't get any more personal, any more relational than that. It doesn't get any more real than that. He reigns now, and there is, I mean, there's no more sacrifices necessary to perfect His people. And that, that's the next comparison. I promise these ones are shorter. The, the posture of many priests compared to the posture of one. The succession of the priests every day serving in the tabernacle and later the temple. Uh, can you find an Exodus where it talks about the, uh, the chairs in the tabernacle? I'll wait. We'll be waiting for a long time, won't we? Because there's nothing there in Exodus about this. There are no chairs for the priests to sit down after they had performed their duty because there's more to be done. So the comparison in verses 11 through 13 is between standing and sitting. That's why those verses are there. All the priests of the old way would stand. The one priest of the new way sits down. And he sits down in heaven itself at the right hand of God. So we've heard this before in Hebrews chapter 1. It's an allusion to Psalm 110. Jesus reigns in power. He reigns in authority right now. 
He sits enthroned in that place of a king. And if you don't acknowledge him as king right now, then you will. Because he will make his enemies a footstool. It's a picture of the king just putting his, putting his feet on the, the heads of those he has conquered. This is Jesus, our conquering king. The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, I mean, he really picks the perfect animal for Aslan. A lion, the king of the beasts, willingly offers himself. Now Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God, but he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is definitely not safe, but he's good. He conquers all his enemies, all our enemies, united to him. Just think what an assurance this would be for a young church. When it looks like the enemies of the cross of Christ are growing. Is that still true? When it looks like maybe we're just getting started in the suffering department. Um, we, need, we need to hear that between right now and when all of the enemies of God are silenced, that, that's, a, that's a definite time. And it's unfolding according to the plan and purpose of God. You can be assured of this. Keep watch. Hold fast. Your high priest is interceding and he's your king who's waiting patiently for that predetermined time when you're not going to need faith anymore because he'll be present with us. So verse 14 brings, brings back the perfection language that we heard in verse uh, 1. I think this sentence in verse 14 is really the climax of the passage because we find past, present, and future grace of the Lord Jesus all right here. For by a single offering, it's in the past, he has perfected for all time, future, those who are being sanctified right here and now in the present. The perfection here is the language of completeness, something reaching its intended goal. This is what Paul has in mind for uh, the Philippians when he says, and I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Um, Well, certainly, Paul, you must be farther along. Do you have this all together already? He says later, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because of the obedience and single offering of Jesus, what God intends for you has already happened while it's still happening. Okay, so here's the the sanctification meter pointing to your level of, of holiness. And it's always, always moving in this life of faith. Only you know exactly where this meter is in relationship to the Lord God. But, in, but before the face of God the Father, this meter is already here. It's already pegged. It won't be our experience now in this uh, life before the return of the Lord. Um, but it's already true because you are in Christ. So if you want to be biblically accurate, I don't know if I should even say this, but... It, uh, it would put you in the category of theological nerd. Some of us may or may not need help with that. But somebody says to you, well, nobody's perfect. You can acknowledge that and say, well, that's true, but actually I am. Um, so you want to be wise with this. 
especially as you know your own sin. Um, I'm perfect because I'm united to Jesus. And it's a done deal. I'm not there yet, certainly, but that's more certain than the conversation that we're having right now. Again, be, be careful with that. Um, so your, your life, my life, the life of the Christian, the power of the Christian, it's in remembering who we are. Learning what is, what is real. Leaning into what is real. It's going to be risky. But it's real, not just a shadow or an idea. Remember what is true of you in union with the Lord Jesus. You are to be what you already are in Christ. And we see this, we see Jesus more clearly and we see ourselves in union with Jesus. It just moves us to worship. It moves us to to make more sacrifices, not bloody animal sacrifices. No more offering for sin. We offer our lives in worship, in grateful obedience to God in full view of God's mercy. Paul says in Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your your sacrifice. This is your spiritual offering. It's a sacrifice of praise. And we can do that now. We can actually do that every day because the Holy Spirit has united us to Christ. So that takes us to the last comparison here between the old and the new, verses 15 through 17. The author brings Jeremiah 31 right into the present experience of the church. We've looked at Jeremiah 31 in more detail in chapter 8 of Hebrews. But the Spirit bears witness to us, not, not to them a long time ago, but to the people who are hearing this, to us. I mean, here's God's word again, the Spirit speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the people through the ages. Underscores two uh, main blessings of the new covenant. Two things that it accomplishes that the old simply could not. The first is that God inscribes His law on the hearts and minds of His people. Not on tablets of stone. He does the heart work. He enables His people to keep covenant. And He remembers their sins no more. That debt has been paid. This isn't a shadow. This isn't on credit. Maybe hoping that someday payment will be made. This is the true form Your forgiveness is a real thing. Let the Holy Spirit assure you of that this morning. It's real. What is impossible? Verse 4, the Spirit assures us has been done. Verse 18, your sins are covered, all of them, by the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. Past, present, future, there's no sin outside of this. Outside of God's covering, they're all paid, all covered forever. I think we have a hard time believing that all of our sins are covered forever by the blood of Jesus. I have three teenagers, and their clothes don't cover them forever. Maybe for a few months, if we're lucky. So we have a hard time believing this. It seems like a shadow, it just can't be real. But it is real. The big things, those life-changing acts of rebellion... Those are covered. And those little, ordinary, everyday things that if you're a perfectionist, you have a hard time believing. Covered by the blood of Jesus. 
Sin can no longer defile and accuse us before the Father. He knows all your past, present, and future sins. He's washed away the guilt, the blood of His own Son. So where are you in believing that today? I finished a book uh, recently called The Giver by Lois Lowry. Uh, the dystopian novel where this community is very regulated uh, in all that they do. Their families, their jobs, their conversations, all regulated by a group of elders. And every year the 12-year-olds are given their assignments and where they will train and what, what jobs they're going to have. And uh, Jonas is, is the main character and he's offered a very honorable position in the community. Uh, he's going to be the receiver and uh, the, the elders have noticed over his first 11 years his perception. He's starting to see this more in himself. And what he hears is that the, the receiver is, is to be the one who receives the memories of the community. Memories that are not carried by the rest of the community. So it's an honorable position, but it's one that they tell him right away is going to be very lonely and very painful. So to receive these memories, Jonas lies flat on the table and the much older uh, receiver whose uh, place uh, Jonas is taking, he's, he's known as the giver, and he places his hand on Jonas's back and transfers these memories. He he's, receives them in his subconscious. And so now he sees sunsets and fishing on the lake and snow and a rainbow, and oh, there's color. You see, the community can't see in color. The, the grass is green. The apple is actually red. There's, there's blue when I look into the sky. So that this new position is filling the life he has always known and seen, but it, it's filling it out, enabling to him to see what is real. It's becoming more real for him. So we think of the, the single offering of Jesus. It takes God's people from shadow to reality. We can know forgiveness. We can draw near to the throne of grace. By the Spirit of God in us, we can see things the way they really are by God's design. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul reminds the church that they have have the Spirit and can discern the things of God. We have the mind of Christ whose sacrifice sanctifies us forever. So let's be a people who live not in, in the shadow, not through the screen, as it were, but in the joy of a real relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what we've been made for.